Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Coming up on today's show, none of us want to go to the ER, but sometimes you just have to. Can you make it easier if you do? We'll chat with Dr. Shazma Mithani and find out. Beef producers in a tough, tough spot, even though the price of beef is through the roof. And we'll speak with the beekeeper who was called in to remove about 15,000 bees from a downtown Edmonton signal light last week. We've all heard the horror stories. We probably maybe unfortunately had to go through one yourself where uh, you've had to sit through a long wait in an emergency room. That's just part of what going to the emergency room entails in a lot of cases. I mean, not if you're seriously ill, obviously, but um, if you're not, you know, you may not have a choice and you're just going to have to wait it out is what it is. But are there things you can do to make it a little easier on yourself? To find out, we're going to chat with Dr. Shazma Mathani now, who's an emergency room physician at the Royal Alec and the Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton. And uh, Dr. Mathani, thanks for joining us again. Always a delight. Always a delight on my end, too. Thanks for having me, Shay. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're doing the, this. We've talked about it before with Dr. Mathani. She's taken up um, sort of, uh, I don't know, would you call it a public education or a public awareness campaign on your social media, Dr. Mathani, where you're just basically giving people tips on how to make um, life a little bit easier from the doctor's point of view, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's to educate the public, to help empower them with information to help keep them healthy and hopefully out of the eMERGE. And it, some of it is great. You know, I mean, we all especially if you've got kids, you're probably going to end up in an emergency room at one time or another. It just seems the way that it goes. And, you know, we all just sort of surrender to whatever happens. Are there things you can do before you even leave to go to the ER for yourself or for your kid? Doesn't matter. Are there things you can do to sort of help make things a little easier when you get there? Yeah, there are, there are quite a few things. And I would say the first thing is just the mindset that you go with. Uh, you know, we know in the yeah. eMERGE that it's, it, it is the worst day of so many people's lives. And trust me, we, we know that, we understand that, and we feel that for our patients. Um, but g- give us a little bit of grace and, and have trust yeah. in us that if you're sick, we will see you. We will make sure that we find a way to see you, find space to see you. And um, just be kind. Be kind to yourself and be kind to us and just be patient. So going there with the right mindset really um, we'll frame the rest of the visit uh, for for the patients or for the parents. So that that would be my first and foremost piece of advice for sure. And Dr. Mathani, do you think uh, there's people that go there that you know sort of see it as hey, it, it's like a uh, a restaurant waiting room where it's like hey, we were here first. That's not how it works. It, it's not who got here first. It's who needs to be seen first, right? That's it's it's triage based on need. Exactly. And so there is there is a standardized triage system that's used all across Canada that we use. And it's based on what uh, what you're there with, how sick you are, what your vital signs are, and what the kind of main concerns would be for what you could be presenting with. So, of course, somebody who comes in with uh, a diagnosed heart attack is going to definitely take priority over somebody who might have broken a bone. And so that's not to say that a broken bone is not an emergency, sure. 
But things that are life-threatening, I'll always take priority. Is there a way of finding out what kind of condition you're in before you go? I think for a lot of people, it's like something's really wrong here. I don't know what it is, but I think I'm in trouble. I need to go to the ER. And you end up waiting and waiting and waiting. Is Is there some way to try and find out whether maybe you don't even need to go to the ER? Maybe there's another way of handling it. So a few things. I mean, if you have a family doctor, often family doctor clinics will have after-hours numbers or or colleagues that are on call. And so trying to call your family doctor's office first um, is always our our, uh, first advice. They're They're the people that know you the best. Um, calling 811 as well, and they can go through some questions with you and give you a sense of how urgent it might be to go into the emergency department. So those would be the two things that I would recommend to decide if you need to go in or not. And of course, if in doubt, just come in. Now, if you're headed there, you're going to the to the ER. Um, beforehand, I noticed on your social media, you were saying things like document what's going on so that you go in mm-hmm. and can tell the doc exactly what's happening, right? Absolutely. So there are some things that are just so invaluable to us. Um, pictures and videos are a big one. So it sounds kind of gross, but if you're vomiting blood, for example, or, or if you have blood in your poop, yeah. please, please take pictures because you may not be doing that by the time you get to see us. And so having those visuals are really, really helpful for us to um, to get a sense of what tests might need to be done or what might be going on. Okay. Um, if you have some sort of a wound or a concern about an infection that you think has been progressing, document photos every day. Um, so that we can see how much the redness is getting worse, for example. Uh, if you have a child who might have had a seizure or is having some strange movements or, or uh, behaviors that, that are concerning to you, take videos of it. Because if not us, then, you know, the consulting teams or other specialists would definitely be interested in, in seeing those. Because what often happens is by the time you get to the ER, you're either feeling better or the symptom that you're coming in with is not presenting or the movement is not happening anymore. And so having that documentation is really, really helpful for us. And then it makes things uh, more efficient for the patients as well. Yeah, great idea. Never even thought about that. What about whether you eat before you go? Should you stop eating? You don't know. That's always, uh, is it wives' tale that stop eating or should you feed the kid? How does that work? So it's a great question. So if it's for, for kids, we say, um, Unless I would say for a kid, unless you're certain that your child has a broken bone, it's okay to let them continue to snack because kids' metabolisms are so much higher that they really do need to have snacks and feed uh, regularly. You certainly don't want to crank your child in the waiting room, but uh, two reasons to not eat. So one would be if there's a concern about a broken bone or a dislocation because we would need to sedate you or your family member in order to reset that bone. And you have to have an empty stomach for that for your own safety. Okay. So if you're concerned about a broken bone or a dislocated bone that might need sedation, then please don't eat or drink anything like not even sips of water because that could delay how long the definitive management takes for you because we'd have to wait then four hours before we can do the sedation. The other thing is if you're concerned about, or if you have any sort of gastrointestinal symptoms, so if you're having lots of severe vomiting or diarrhea or really severe abdominal pain, we would also recommend not eating or drinking because some of the tests that we need to do rely on an empty stomach. And if it's something that needs surgery, that also it's important to have an empty stomach for that as well. And so if those are two situations that you might be in, then the best answer is to, to err on the side of caution and not eat or drink anything. Excellent. Okay. Uh Got a couple here I'm going to try and squeeze in. Last one on this topic. Um, be prepared, right? I mean, you might have to wait, so don't walk in there. I mean, plan for that. Exactly. So bring a book, bring a phone charger, yeah. a podcast. Uh, you know, if you're allowed to eat or drink, bring snacks and water. Um, so just, you know, be prepared to wait. And, and again, keep in mind that if you're waiting a long time, that's actually probably a good thing because what you have is... Not very <laughs> unlikely to be life-threatening and not serious. And so 
come there uh, with toys and activities for your kids, too, just to try to make the the weight um, a bit more tolerable. Uh, Last one, if I can, before I let you go, this heat that we're seeing, what's going on uh, right across the province, really, around the world, in fact, uh, the way it's been the last couple of weeks, has that caused an increase in ER visits? Absolutely. So it's, um, and we're going to see more and more of that as the summer goes on. Uh, As the, you know, the heat waves come, we are going to see more heat-related illnesses. So um, lots of things. I don't know if you want me to talk about what you can do. to Yeah, sure. Yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So really, really important. So stay well hydrated because sweating is kind of the most effective way for your body to cool down. So stay well hydrated, drink lots of water. If you're going to be out in the heat, really try to take breaks in, in cool places with air conditioning um, and take shelter and regular breaks in the shade or in, inside in, in the cool space. And then uh, making sure if you're exercising outside, please do it in the morning or even the evenings are pretty hot now. So like early in the morning is really the safest time to exercise outdoors because by the time you get even close to 11 or or noon, it's uh, well above the mid twenties and and it becomes more and more dangerous to exercise outside and, and you can develop what's called exertional heat stroke. And that can be something that can be pretty dangerous. What should we be watching for to say, Oh, I might be in trouble here. For sure. So if you're noticing that you start feeling unwell, like having any nausea or vomiting, if you're sweating an excessive amount um, and having symptoms like feeling dizzy or lightheaded, uh, feeling really tired, if you notice any of those things, just get into an air-conditioned space right away. And if those get worse or don't go away, then that would be a reason to come into hospital. Dr. Methani, uh, great information as always. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me today. Um, the Alberta NDP is calling on both the province and the feds to come together, team up, and investigate just what's going on with the price of beef in Alberta. And they're not alone. Uh, according to the NDP, prices have gone up between 11 and 43% for consumers over the past year, depending on what it is that you're buying. That's a lot. 43%? I mean, even 11 at the low end? Um, and uh, like I say, they're not alone. Producer and producer associations are also echoing those calls. In fact, um, just last week, there was uh, a summit held right in the middle of the Calgary Stampede industry, meeting with government to discuss this very situation. Because for most of us, yeah, it's the price at the store. But for producers, they're seeing the price at the store, not like they're making an extra 43%, not even close. So what's going on? We're going to have a chat now with uh, Dr. Melanie Woke, who is the chair of the Alberta Beef Producers. Uh, Dr. Woke, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Good morning, Shay. Thank you. So this summit was held last Thursday in Calgary, um, a sit-down with government officials. Just, what was the message you were trying to get across to government? So this summit was actually put forth by the Alberta Beef Producers. So typically we go into Ottawa twice a year to do our federal lobbying. And what we decided this year was instead of going to Edmonton twice or to Ottawa twice, that we were going to bring Ottawa to Alberta. So we had uh, MPs, um, but we also had as many MLAs as we could to attend. And not only the price of uh, the price of beef, but really anything that was on uh, producers' minds. And so we were able to bring our whole board to Ottawa this way, and uh, we were able to connect with a lot more people in a shorter amount of time. How did it go? Are you, are you happy with the way it went? We were ecstatic with the way it went. <laughs> uh, to tell you the truth, when we first uh, decided on doing this, we were a little bit nervous about what the attendance could be like. You know, we said, what if we get too big a room and we only have like eight people show up? Yeah. But uh, we ended up having well over 100. We um, 
I, I said, the minute you say beef, I think people show up in this province. And, and it was just, again, uh, reiterated of, of how important our, our uh, industry is to this province and, and how much people enjoy talking to beef producers. Okay, we'll circle back to the discussion you had in a moment. But first, let's talk about where things are with beef producers in Alberta right now. Because like we all know, we all go to the grocery store and see the price of beef, but then we all know at the other side of it, Producers aren't seeing those kind of increases. So, so give us your, your, your state of the cattle industry in Alberta right now. Well, I just want to bring it forward again that, that this is something that Alberta, Alberta beef producers have been working on and lobbying with the Alberta government and the federal government for well over a year. And what came of it is the beef competitiveness study. And that is a study that we, Alberta beef producers, as well as Alberta cattle feeders and the Canadian Cattlemen's Association are working together with the Alberta government to try and figure out where there's opportunities in the beef supply chain to improve producer margins. I mean, we are will. This isn't something that just happened yesterday. It's been going on mm-hmm. pretty much since the beginning of COVID. So I just want to make producers um, and consumers out there realize that it is something that we're working on. The results of the study are are expected to come out at the end of November, and this is how our province is is trying to deal with this. And it's and, and it's hard to put a finger on why, right? I mean, there's a million different factors that go into it. Well, there is. I mean, we are in a very fluctuating market, and it's a market that's that's dependent a lot on day traders, and um, our prices are are set by that free market. Yeah. And right now, uh, you know, packers have the advantage that uh, people are willing to pay uh, this amount for our product. Unfortunately, the market is dictating much lower prices for live animals, and that's prices that haven't changed much. This week, we have seen uh, fat prices, so that is at the end of the animal's life cycle, what that animal's bringing. Those prices have been increasing this week, which is a good sign. Uh, we're going to have less cattle going to market this fall, which, which should increase the, um, you know, the amount of money that we are getting at the farm gate because there's less animals available. So I, I think that there's going to be changes in this market as we're coming. It's just taking some time. I was really surprised in, in you know, reading uh, some information to do this interview. You know, we, we get visions of Yellowstone in our head and, you know, the great big huge cattle ranches and everything. The average income for a cattle producer is going to, it's anticipated it'll be about $30,000 this year, which is below minimum wage. Well, I would even be surprised. A lot of us don't even consider paying ourselves. And I used to have this discussion a lot with producers as a veterinarian. And, you know, I'd say, like, what are you paying yourself by the hour yeah. or by the year? And and a lot of them don't even factor that in. So I I think, I from what I've read, 80 to 90% of uh, cow-calf uh, producers require a second income off the farm. And, that, and typically that's a good second income. And that's something that we've had to do on our own um, ranch to I say to uh, hold up our, our cattle problem. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> you, know, and, uh, you know, we keep hoping. We, we, are, very ho- we are a very hopeful group, and, and we're hopeful for this next generation as well. And, and that's one thing Alberta Beef Producers is really trying to focus on, is how are we going to get young producers yeah. back in and, and guarantee them that they're going to make some money doing this, because... A lot of them are saying, hey, if I'm not going to make some money, I'm going to go make it somewhere else. And, and you really, you can't blame them. You, you can't, right? I mean, if you're not going to be able to make a living, why aren't, you can't get into it. I mean, it's just, it's a losing battle. So you're right. You can't argue that. 
No, you can't. And unfortunately, I think the only way to get into it is if you are right now born into it, because you sure can't afford the price of land. Running cattle on on land where we are competing with grain, the grain commodities and the price that they can pay for land, it's impossible. You, You cannot make your payments running cattle on that land. So... Right. We are trying to improve some some business risk management tools for young producers. There really isn't anything out there for the cow-calf producer, and that's what these young producers have to manage is their risk. And we need to have some improved programs for them to do that. A um, couple of texts have come in, and, and we, we get them every time we, you know, we have um, the Canadian cattlemen on or, or yourself. These are the questions that come in. What about coming up with a different way of working with the packing plants, starting your own packing plants, these sorts of things, because that seems to be the sticking point. Um, are those kinds well, of discussions underway? Absolutely, and that's one thing that this competitive disnetty is going to try and identify. And I don't remember, you know, if we remember, we go back to BSC when when we decided then that we needed more Canadian packing plants because we saw the problems that came up uh, when we were we didn't have enough uh, packing capacity for the number of cattle that we have in this country because fifty percent of them are exported, and if and if our borders are slammed shut. That goes away. So, but unfortunately, you know, the cost of doing it, the red tape that um, these people run into when they're trying to, um, you know, the food safety red tape is extremely high in Canada. We we want to produce a product that's that's safe for our consumers to to have, and and some of those issues just come up, and it just becomes too great a. Um, uh, a barrier for them to develop these plants. You know, these big plants are really good at what they do, and they do it, uh, uh, you know, for an amount of money that that is, you know, is very difficult for a new plant to set up and be able to do. Uh, last one, and then I'll let you go. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Melanie Woke, the chair of the Alberta Beef Producers. So what was the ask to the MLAs and the MPs that you did get to come and sit down and talk with you at this summit? What's the message you're telling them? Uh, the message we're telling them is that we are working on this competitiveness study to please give us some time to to come up with with what you know uh, conclusions we're going to come up with this study, which I said the end of November is what we're going to have. The other thing was the living labs announcement that we had from Minister Bebo. That is fifty four million dollars that the federal government has. Um, pushed into the provinces, and these this is our studies that are going to try and help reduce greenhouse gas emissions and try and strengthen the resiliency of um, our nation's food systems. So that was a, another positive, another thing that we discussed. Um, input costs, of course, always uh, something that we are trying to make them aware of, that it's costing us more and more money. And also, um, if they could send some good weather, that yeah, <laughs> that'd be great too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, which we are getting. It's getting a little warm out there, but uh, great haying weather right now, and hopefully, uh, we'll see some good crops here in the next. Uh, I, I guess guys in the south will start harvesting here in the next month. Yeah, fingers crossed as always, right? It's the way it works. As always, yep. And I just like to again thank the consumer for always uh, being uh, being our. Uh, biggest advocate for our our industry we really appreciate it yeah absolutely and uh we really appreciate you joining us this morning thanks so much dr woke thanks you have a great day you too that is dr melanie woke the chair of the alberta beef producers on wednesday
down on the midway at Calgary Stampede, somebody noticed, lo and behold, there's a huge swarm of bees in one of the trees. Now, fortunately, there just happened to be, as part of the agricultural setup and exhibits uh, at Stampede, a group of um, beekeepers from the Calgary Beekeepers Association who were more than happy to jump in and handle the situation with the bees, which they did, no problem at all. Meanwhile, up in Edmonton last week, there was a situation where all of a sudden somebody noticed there's a huge swarm of thousands and thousands and thousands of bees on an LRT signal, just swarming this LRT signal light. And once again, a beekeeper had to be called in to try and deal with this situation. That beekeeper is Daryl Sopel. And he joins us now, uh, Daryl, with the Edmonton Beekeepers District Beekeepers Association. Daryl, thanks for your time. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, no problem. Good to be here. So, first of all, give us an update. Are the bees still there? I mean, you guys managed to clean these up usually pretty quickly, right? Uh, usually pretty quickly. Uh, when they uh, they were there uh, 24 hours, so they managed to get uh, their pheromone built up on the sign. So, it took a little more coaxing to get them off. Um, but we got them all off. Why does this happen? Let's start there, because like I say, I mean, we had the situation in Calgary, we've got the situation in Edmonton, and we've all seen stories from all around the world where occasionally a swarm of bees ends up in a place they shouldn't be. Uh, Well, so the swarm is a natural um, way that they reproduce. Uh, When the hive or the space that the bees are in uh, is full, full of honey, nectar, pollen, and bees, uh, what ends up happening is the workers put out a pheromone, and that uh, signals the queen to start laying queen eggs. Uh, after that, the workers put the queen on a diet so she's able to fly. And then uh, a few days before the the new queens start to hatch, uh, the queen takes off with 60 to 80% of the workers, and they go to find a new home. And okay. that leaves uh, the new queen with everything that she needs to be uh, uh, successful in building up a hive for winter. And then that will continue until uh, the flow stops or the flowers, uh, the nectar flow stops. Gotcha. Okay, so it's a completely natural process. All beehives do this. Every beehive will do that. Um, it's controlled by beekeepers. So if um, it's in actually in a physically in a hive, then there's there's methods that you can use that you can uh, curb that uh, curb that instinct where you give them more space. Um, you you take in control of uh, what what their food is, or if they're, they're near a food source, you just make sure that they have plenty of comb to fill with honey. Gotcha. Okay. Um, in a situation like this, are the bees dangerous? I mean, I think that's obviously the reaction that a lot of people have. Oh no, it's a huge storm of bees. We're in trouble. Are are we? The uh, you're you're very unlikely to get stung by a swarm. Uh, they're primarily looking for a new location, and they're primarily protecting their queen and to stay together. Um, like we'd like to think we're the center of the universe, yeah. but bees bees don't really care anything about us. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't bother them, they're not going to bother you, right? They're not going to bother you at all. Yeah. Um, how do you ha- when you get that call? Wh- what's the strategy? How do you go about you know rescuing these bees? Uh, for the most part, they land on trees or some sort of shrubbery, and it's easy to uh, get them. You take you cut off that one branch, the one that has the pheromone on it. You get them into a nuke box or a hive box, and then you just take them away. It's fairly simple for the most part. When they're on the object and that object gets a, a buildup of the pheromone, it's a little more difficult to coax them off. So you have to get some of them into the, the box and then uh, persuade them into the box by using some lemongrass or some thymol. It's just natural smells that uh, sort of imitate the, the swarm pheromone. 
Gotcha. Okay. Now, when we when we see situations like this, uh, we last time we had a beekeeper on, we were talking about how bees were in trouble, and we've heard that story before for a long time. What's the situation? Have things gotten any better? I know the heat last year and the drought last year was awful. Uh, and the wasps. The wasps are a predatory insect, so uh, there is, in addition to all the the rural mites and everything else that's uh, troubling the bees uh, for number of years, still the buildup of wasps, because they're a predator, they'll actually go in and uh, take out the beehive there if there's enough of them. Huh. When you go out to deal with the wasp or a beehive, bee swarm like this, um, do you suit up? Do you have the whole suit on or do you just go and handle it? Uh, so you, you go up to the hive or I personally, I'll go up to a hive and I'll just see if they're, how the temperament is. Uh, for almost every new swarm, it's a very quick. You you don't have to put a suit on. You just clip off the the branch, get them in the box, and they're they're calm and happy in the in a new home. Um, it's when they get agitated. I mean, I've uh, I've been called out to a playground where the the bees were on a swing set, and the kids decided to be fun and entertaining to throw things at them. So they they became agitated at that point, and then uh, I fully had to suit up because they they weren't happy because they were being attacked. Well, fair enough. Well, why wouldn't they? Um... How often do you get called out to deal with swarms like this? Uh, so generally just in the swarm season, and it varies from year to year. Um, this year, this is only my third swarm call. Um, but I've had years where I was getting swarm calls at uh, 15, 16 a day for the, the what? swarm season. So it really depends on the year. What's the biggest swarm you ever had to deal with? Um, I've had a swarm where I was. Uh, it filled two of my bee boxes. So it was... It, it would have been well over thirty, forty thousand bees because it was. It just filled the boxes right up. Holy cow! Have you ever seen the show called Bees Are? I have not. You got to watch it. He's <laughs> a guy who does exactly what you do, so it's probably not all that exciting to you. But for a guy like me, it's kind of neat to watch. But it's amazing work you guys do. It really is remarkable. Yeah, the, the, there's so much more things that we're finding out. Even like in in the last uh, half dozen years, I've seen. Uh, uh, research done where uh, we know that bees will do the waggle dance and indicate where flowers are. Uh, they did research where the the swarms will do the same sort of dancing, but the scouts that go out, they actually have to um, synchronize. So they'll it, it's like the the bees are voting and choosing which is the better location before they actually go. No, really. So that that, that those videos are really amazing to watch. They are incredible creatures, aren't they? I mean, there's I, there's probably a lot we still don't understand. Oh, absolutely! I'm sure there's that there's a whole new level that they're that they're they're working on that we don't understand. Amazing, yeah, amazing stuff, Gerald. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us. No problem. Have a good day. You too. That's Daryl Sopel, who is with the Edmonton District Beekeepers Association. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.